Hello everyone, and welcome back to IntelliGame Radio. I'm your host, Josh Boykin, founder of IntelliGame.us, a site where we make connections between games and the world around us. And lately, the world around us has been on fire, both figuratively and literally. Over the past few weeks, the world has changed in ways that none of us could have anticipated. And it feels like that is actually an evergreen statement for 2020. It just seems like anytime you roll the calendar back about three, four weeks, you're like, oh, that was a completely different mode of existence. But with whatever kinds of changes have come with the spread of COVID-19 and the quarantines and whatnot that have been imposed as a result, we've seen a brand new discourse sweep the globe over the past couple of weeks in response to the murder of George Floyd and the... (laughs) Yeah, it's a discussion about police brutality, but it's also specifically a discussion about black lives and the ways that black lives, particularly in America, have been systemically impacted and discriminated against since this country's inception and the ways that forces in power societal, political power, white supremacy, have pushed against progress and equality for black folks. This isn't to say that other marginalized groups don't experience systemic oppression, and in fact it's important for us to recognize those groups and try to address the issues of those groups as we push forward for societal progress, as we look towards the issues that are experienced by the Latinx community, by the LGBT community, by the Muslim community. There are so many different ways that there are people who have been actively harmed by policies and procedures that are implemented by the United States government and by other societal forms of institutional oppression. But at this moment, at this particular moment, we're having a discussion about black lives how black lives matter. A statement that should not be controversial, and yet somehow entire sections of the internet have to find ways to counter the discussion. Of course, this discussion about black lives and how they matter resonates with me as one of those black lives. As someone whose mother, father, sister are also black lives. So many of my family members, my friends, my colleagues, loved ones, are black lives. But the idea, the concept, that black lives have mattered, currently matter, will continue to matter, should not need any sort of justification or connection based on familial, romantic, interpersonal relationship, or professional connection of any kind. Black people are people people who deserve equal rights and privileges and respect, just like anyone else. And yet somehow, this country has actively pushed against that for hundreds of years. You know, it's interesting. This past weekend, we celebrated my dad's 60th birthday. We celebrated it, or I was remote, while the rest of them were together. We had a video call where we ate a meal that was familiar to us from my childhood, macaroni and cheese, hot dogs, and baked beans. We had cake to celebrate, and of course, we just talked. And inevitably, our family ended up discussing the social movements that have taken place. And my mom said something that stuck with me. She said that she feels like this moment is different, because even though we have seen social movements as a result of various publicized shootings or deaths. She said, I've never seen the whole world march on our behalf before. And the part that stuck out to me was the word our. Because ever since I can remember, I've had this strange relationship with blackness. I feel like it's constantly being evaluated by other people, defined as to whether or not I'm black enough for a certain situation, whether I am too black for another situation. I feel like I'm constantly on the outside looking in, no matter what the situation is. 
But I realized when my mother made that statement that people were marching on our behalf, that regardless of whatever I've gone through in schooling, in my professional career, in my personal relationships or friendships, that I do have blackness, that I am a black man, that my black experience is valid and it matters. Blackness has always been a weight to bear, but it has also been an incredible blessing. It's connected me with so many amazing, creative, powerful black people. It gives me something to be proud of. It gives me a struggle that I can identify with. It gives me role models all throughout history who have inspired change, innovation, progress, and growth for this entire country, even when this country has been dead set, sometimes literally, at preventing their progress. Our show typically has a one-word episode title, but to start this episode with anything other than Black Lives Matter seems like a misstep. So today, our episode, Black Lives Matter. Intelligame Radio has shifted and changed over the past couple of years, experimenting with different formats. I often feel like there is a need for a specific consistency, a specific defined format that people can see from week to week. But the world has fluctuated and shifted in so many different ways over the past few months that it seems to try and come up with something consistent in terms of formatting or expectations would be a level of hubris that I just cannot be up for right now. I think that the coming weeks and months are going to require a flexibility, a willingness to adapt to whatever situation is coming forward, and Intelligame Radio is going to be one of those spaces. So each week, we're going to be publishing something, but I'm not sure what it will be. It may be our traditional interview format. It may be an abbreviated episode. It might be something entirely different. But over the past, I've let my personal dedications to perfectionism prevent me from using my voice, from using this platform to help advocate for others. And I think that this is a time where we all have to evaluate what tools we have to help make positive change and to utilize those tools, to not hold ourselves back with expectations of perfectionism, with the fears of what happens when we speak up. Daily, in places around the globe, there have been protesters who are willing to not only fight against the physical forces of police brutality, but also the biological forces of COVID-19, the potential ramifications that come with being a protester, and they are out there on the line fighting for justice and change. They've been doing that since before George Floyd. They've been doing that since before Ahmaud Aubrey. They've been doing that since before Breonna Taylor, Atatiana Jefferson, Tamir Rice, Trayvon Martin, Alton Sterling, Eric Garner, Mike Brown, Philando Castile. And before any of the names that had the ability to turn into hashtags, these movements matter. What we're doing right now matters. And the platforms that we utilize to fight against white supremacy, to fight against police brutality, to fight against fascism, to fight against the forces that would attempt to keep us down. These things matter. Whether it's talking on a podcast, or writing an article, or sharing something on social media, or going out to a protest, or donating to a cause. Each of these individual actions add up to become something more together than we ever could have done individually. And so I encourage you to find the ways that you can use your own platform to help make a difference. For today's episode of Intelligame Radio, 
I'll be airing an interview that I conducted with Zoe Schneider, community manager for Harmonix. Zoe and I met at PAX East just this year, and I will admit that I was enthused to meet her simply when I found out that she was a black woman working for Harmonix. When you work the convention circuit, you get really excited to see other people who look like you when you are people who look like me. But the conversations that Zoe and I have had since then have been incredibly important. Zoe comes from multiple backgrounds. Though she currently works in games, she matriculated through activist spaces, through professional music. She's worked in black communities trying to help spread opportunities for growth and change. She's a professional public speaker with an energy and a genuine passion for change that I think is very important, particularly at a moment like this. As always, if you have questions, comments, concerns, feel free to email me at josh at intelligame.us. Again, that's josh at intelligame.us. Thanks a lot. Let's get started. Hey, Zoe, it's good to have you here on the show. Thanks for spending some time with us today. Of course. So happy to be here. So <laughs> in so many ways, I wish we were having this conversation at a different time, mm. but unfortunately we're not. Uh, there have been so many things that have taken place over the past couple of weeks, the murder of George Floyd. And I mean, it's it's not just George Floyd, right? Mm -hmm. There are, you know, Breonna Taylor, Tatiana Jefferson, Ahmaud Aubrey, like mm -hmm. this list goes on. The countless other names we don't know. That it, absolutely, you know, the the ones that have not even made that transition from human to hashtag. Mm -hmm. You know, it it feels like it, it's a hell of a time to be uh, a black person in America in general, but particularly it feels like in games. Mm. The world's shifting a lot. How have things felt for you over the past couple of weeks? Well, it's um, it has been intense to say the least. It is very emotional. It is very overwhelming. Uh, it's very necessary that this is happening. So... You know, there's those moments where it's like, I'm so tired. And then it's like, well, that sucks for you. Like, this is, this is a such a necessary struggle and such a necessary fight that it's like, this is just the work that needs to be done. You know, that's the bottom line. But right. um, at the same time, you know, we're still humans. We have finite energy deposits. We have finite time and finite resources to combat all these evils in the world. And you really do need to take some time and just be with yourself and be for yourself and advocate for yourself and what you need. Um I, I think what you said is very true about, yes, of course, globally speaking, this is a tumultuous time, but in games, like every other industry, there's a certain subset of different issues, right? So it's no surprise that gaming is a predominantly white industry. So you can imagine there's a lot of people right now who either one are in positions of power and don't necessarily know how to utilize it for everybody else's benefit, or, you know, some people who maybe are straight up unwilling to do so. And then you have a bunch of other people who, and this is, I think, more my experience, that are really down for the cause and just don't know where they fit. So you get a lot of people either being silent or a lot of people taking up a lot of space and making a lot of noise, maybe not quite where or when they need to. But really, I mean, the bottom line is you have a ton of people from all sides of everything, you know, every identity, whether you're black or white, like you have people who are uncertain and scared. And now as a black woman, I'm uncertain and scared about a certain set of things, but I know that my white colleagues and counterparts have their own fears and uncertainties that they're navigating right now. And not everybody has the tools to articulate and communicate those thoughts effectively. So it is kind of like a, uh, it's a tricky time, you know, a lot of people are feeling like they need to walk on eggshells. A lot of people are feeling like for the first time they can be open and honest about their situation. Um, and I mean, I, <laughs> I, you know, Josh, you and I have talked a lot and, you know, I can talk till I'm out of air and have all the <laughs> words in the world. But um, I find myself at a loss for them more often recently than maybe ever in my life, just because there is no proper way to articulate the gravity of the situation, no matter how you're looking at it, right? I mean, right. you and I spoke briefly about how for the first time initiatives that people like you and me who have been doing this work for a while, you know, 
whether it's bringing up diversity initiatives at the office or not even at the office within your friend groups or within whatever it is. Um, but these have been at the forefront of our awareness forever. And now suddenly for the first time in any of our lives or careers, there is an organizational urgency to enact those sort of initiatives, right? Which is like, right. it's amazing. Like, holy shit. If you, excuse me, if you- uh, No, it was fine. <laughs> you know, if, if you told me this six months ago that every person in my company would be engaging with this and talking about this and really actively committed to this pursuit, I don't know if I would have believed you. And a lot of emotions come with that, right? Where it's like, well, why does it matter now more than it did before? But you really just have to kind of sit down and keep reminding yourself that like, you know, as a queer, black, gender queer woman, you know, like I sit at all these intersections. Mm-hmm. And I only say that because there are so many things that I am so intimately aware enough, aware with by necessity, right? So when I talk about black liberation, I'm not talking about some abstract idea. I'm talking about my own liberation, When I talk about gender equity, I'm not talking about that because it's trendy. I'm talking about it because that's my own paycheck I'm talking about. That's my own safety. That's my own security, right? Like, it Mm -hmm. is a self-serving, selfish thing. So I just kind of have to keep reminding myself that at the end of the day, people don't know what they don't know. And if this isn't your lived experience, you might not have as easy of a time as connecting with it authentically, right? So you know, for better or worse, if this is the first time you've ever felt the intensity of these racial dynamics in this country and globally speaking, I mean, yeah, maybe I wish you would have gotten to it sooner, but I'm just glad you know now. So it's like, I'm giving, well, I'm doing my best to give people credit where it's due and doing my best to continuously hold them to a standard that will not allow them to become complacent in just their awareness, you know, knowing about it and being aware and talking about it is not enough. It's what action are you doing? How are you how are you putting your money where your mouth is? How are you showing up for the people in your community and, you know, showing up for the people outside of your community that maybe need it? Like, this is such yeah. a complicated topic and such a complicated ongoing conversation. And it's not something we're going to see solved in these two weeks with a lot of social media activity and a lot of people donating money. I mean, these are about, yes, huge systemic overhaul of systems that have kept minorities out of power for generations. But this is also about like individual accountability. Like what are we doing as people in our day-to-day interactions that help soften the blow of some of those systemic barriers to equity? So it's like, <laughs> I'm sorry, what was the question? How am I feeling? Right, What's right, new? Right, like, right. Where did this even... <laughs> I mean, this is, the, this is the difficulty is that over the past two weeks, it has been it, this sort of, it feels like it's been this nonstop deluge mm-hmm. of... Like constantly, the second I open my social media, like black death, yes. black pain. Oh my god! Trying to figure out, and and amidst all this, the difficulty of being a black creator, of of being somebody in these majority white spaces, because so many folks right. reflexively look to you for guidance, right? Mm-hmm. And it's on one hand the opportunity to have those discussions, like you said, it. it I almost don't know how to appreciate that so many people are open and interested in hearing about this and, and genuinely want to make change. But the the flip side of it is that like you have this this mix of the commodification mm. of struggle and pain, right? So right. I think there are a lot of correction. I speak from my own experience when I say that for the last two weeks I have been I've I've dealt with this constant struggle mm-hmm. of I'm exceptionally tired and dealing with a bunch of trauma and like personal issues and would love to just sit down and slow down and rest. And people support me when I say that. Right. But also like social media doesn't care whether or not you need to rest. Mm-hmm. The The internet doesn't care about whether or not you need to rest. And there also is this moment where it feels like all of these companies and all of these folks, all of this institutionalized power is ready to at least give some of it for a moment to vocal black folks in the space and so it feels like but if i'm not part of this moment right now is it potent will i potentially not be part of it at all right well i mean i think you really said it right there with like for this moment this is i think also a part of the traumatizing of black people in this country right where it's like i've had versions of this moment before right personally where like you know in The summer of, I believe it was 2016, it was just like a hot summer. I mean, I felt like there was something different going on. Every week I was living in Austin at the time, which, you know, is 
quote unquote liberal Texas, but it's still Texas. Um, sure. And it, it was a really, really intense summer for me. And I, I remember feeling like, wow, like we have the momentum, we have the numbers, we have the visibility. It's happening right now. And, you know, I have a side hustle, whatever you want to call it, as a professional public speaker. So at the time I was being recruited to tons of businesses, universities, nonprofits to come talk about my own lived experience and race relations as it relates to academia or whatever it was. And then, you know, much like we see consistently with with movements or with things that are living and breathing mainly in the general population anyways on social media and it's like you know the next thing comes and we slowly slowly forget like our collective memory and our collective attention span is getting shorter and shorter and shorter um right it really is my hope that that's not the case with what's happening now but i i would be lying if i said i didn't have fears about that because i've seen it happen time and time again do we not remember the protest because of trayvon martin or because of mike brown like this is not this is not new waves of like communal activism. Now I will say I've never seen the world ride for black lives matter before, right. before now, you know, like all, you know, all 2016, 2017, when there was a lot of activity happening in the streets, it's like, and by that, I mean, you know, protests and civic action when people actually took up arms. Yes, we did it, but we didn't have, you know, what was it? 18 or something. Other countries that participated in protests too. That's not right. something we saw. And the protests that did happen, you know, like I mentioned to you earlier, friends who live in Spain who have protested on behalf of Black Lives Matter in their own home country of Spain before. But, you know, it was literally, I will never forget, it was them in uh, in the rain. And there was maybe like six other people with them. Like I remember seeing photos <laughs> of it. And it's like, wow, like, I appreciate you like showing up, but dang. And now it definitely has more momentum. And it's like, it is amazing to see, but it is not a trend. And I worry that people that don't have an interpersonal connection to the experience of this, you know, racism and all these other evils, like I worry that if it's not constantly in your awareness, it will so quickly fall out to a point where you're not being as engaged and effective as you could be with the platform you have, you know, mainly yeah. speaking about like businesses in that sense. But I mean, it's true for people too. Like, this has been, I've, I've seen people I maybe never would have expected retweeting things, posting things, talking about things, talking to their family members, everything. But I sure hope that that's not the last conversation they have with them. I hope it's closer to the first. Absolutely. There have been so many folks who are, are having these conversations more regularly. And I think even, you know, even inside marginalized communities, and I, I think about my own um you know, I, I think about my own involvement with activism and with trying to make a space for for black voices. And I even have had to sit down and think, what are the things that I should be doing that mm-hmm. I haven't been making space and time for? Because right. all of us exist in this system that has propped up white supremacy. And, mm-hmm. and just by the nature of just like sitting here, breathing the air that is naturally cultivated in these systems, right. if we're not actively working to dismantle those racist tendencies, then we have the potential of propping them up. Right. And it, it's, it, it is, it's overwhelming. I can understand a whole lot of folks being tired right now, but right. somebody tweeted, who was it? Zelvier Nelson Jr. tweeted, he's a black uh, narrative director, and he was like, set a reminder on your calendar for two months from now. And if you're not still supporting black voices and paying attention to mm, black stream mm-hmm. and doing all that in two months, then all you've done is make all these black people go through all of this, this stress and struggle mm-hmm. for nothing. Right. Right. I mean, that and, is, that's true. And that's um, not uncommon. <laughs> like it's, right. it's, it's not something that would be totally outlandish to think that, you have this huge uproar and unrest and, you know, somebody slaps a Band-Aid on it and then we get through another couple months until it happens again. I mean, lest us not forget, like, we can talk about this, these racial tensions all we want. Bottom line is this is not new. What happened to George right. Floyd was evil and horrendous and unacceptable, but it is not new. He is one of many people who have died at the hands of state-sanctioned violence. I mean, that Absolutely. is... that that's That's not a blip in American history. That is the that that's what we do in america that is old practice you know so when i look at something like that it's like yes this is about george floyd this is about how completely unacceptable it was that that man was murdered in the street but this is not just about him right like this is such a bigger conversation 
And, you know, we can't forget that while all of this is happening, we're in the middle of a pandemic. Like, there is still a global yep. health pandemic going on, which, you know, there's so many layers to that in terms of, you know, how the media is going to portray it. You know, once we see outbreaks, we're not going to talk about Memorial Day weekend. We're going to talk about, oh, these protesters went out and now there's huge spikes in all these cities. And it's like, no, people went out for beach and drinks on Memorial Day weekend. And that's what's happening right now because you still need right. a two-week incubation period. But either way, what I'm trying to get at is the fact that this whole huge moment of uprising is happening in part because you have so many people who have the time. I mean, yes. like, I can't tell you about how many of my friends that I know would have been down to go to every protest with me, go do everything, but uh, who's going to pay their bills if they don't go to this job? Exactly. And, you know, th these companies aren't necessarily giving them time off work to go go take up arms in the streets. Like, that's not that's not a luxury they had before to be fully committed to their own and their community's liberation. Like, that's that is in and of itself a point of privilege where you have the time to so fiercely demand change from your government, right? Like... If you had all these people who are very often like essential or whatever, like people who are working nine to five, you, you can't be at a 2 p.m. protest on a Tuesday. Like it's just not right. going to happen. And if even if you can, I mean, oh, my gosh, I can't tell you how many times it was like maybe somewhere I found it in me to go to that Saturday or Sunday protest. But after working six days a week, I, I don't really have it in my body to march for, you know, four hours like. Yeah. And, and that's that's part of it you know like whether or not you can or cannot like that's up to you and that's about your own self-preservation and well-being but we have to acknowledge that there are systems in place that will make it easier and harder for people to participate in an ongoing fashion and like right. that needs to be acknowledged right so like maybe you're not the person that can be marching for eight hours a day five days a week but you know when you're not at your job or if you are instead at a full-time job maybe that means you have some income coming in that you could Donate to some of the people who are doing that and make sure that they're supported. You know, it's a lot about finding your space in these movements in a sustainable way, right? Like, don't get up on the bullhorn if you're going to lose your voice in 10 minutes. Like, mm -hmm. go somewhere where you know that you can show up and stay there. And if it fluctuates, that's fine. It's just about that relentless commitment that you understand this is important. You understand you have a role to play in it. You find it and you sit in it. Well, I said comfortably, but it really is all oh, it's uncomfortable as hell. But right. the bottom line is, it's like, find where you can show up and just fucking show up. You know, with your position working with harmonics, mm -hmm. there are there are conversations that I'm sure that you have had with either other folks in harmonics or mm -hmm. other people who work in, in sort of similar positions. Right. You know, this is a an institution in gaming, uh, in the gaming world. So right. you have access to money, power, you know, connections, influence that many of the folks on the smaller scale don't have. Mm -hmm. What kind of responsibility do you think comes with that in terms of making mm. long-term change? Yeah, absolutely. So I have a couple thoughts on this. So one, Harmonics is a, not only we, you know, video game developers, we're a music video game studio. We only make music video games. So when you look at our catalog, when you look at what genres and what practices and what art forms have prompted us up to be somebody with some sway in the industry and with a little bit of, I don't know, gravitas behind the name of it. It's mm -hmm. like Harmonix really built a lot of its legacy on games like Rock Band. Uh, guess who invented rock and roll? <laughs> like, <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> it's, um, it is so much of what we do is, you know, directly or indirectly tied to the diaspora of African music or black people in this country, or, you know, even you look at something like Dance Central, like I would be very curious to know how many of those dance moves were created by people of color, you know, like I, mm -hmm. and not to say that, you know, this is a huge conversation where you can get into who owns culture and appropriation. And that's not what I'm trying to get at. But what I'm trying to get at is saying that Harmonic's legacy is in part held up by creations and contributions by black people. So it would be not only, but I don't know, not, I mean, it would not only be not cool, but it would be unacceptable for us to not show up and speak up, right? Right. We can't do what we've done and take advantage of the art that we have to get it to, you know, huge audiences of people without then communicating to that same audience that we're aware of the history of what we're doing. We're aware of the implications of what we're doing and we're doing something, period. So, right. um... I 100% I do think Harmonics has a responsibility to engage. And you know what? The most amazing thing, 
they are, you know, mm-hmm. and it's not necessarily because somebody like me, who's a black person who works there, went and, you know, made a big fuss and said, oh, man, like, I'm pissed and you guys have to do something because blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and look at this. Like, it was really, 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 really refreshing that the person that reached out and said, here's what we're doing with, you know, without being prompted to by employees of the community was our CEO, you know, like it's not a couple people making a lot of noise. It is top down leadership that says, you know, we're aware of this. We're having these conversations. Here's what we stand for. If you have something to say, we want to hear it. Like we are definitely encouraged to engage in those conversations and in that civic process. And I mean, like that's huge. Not only is that right. huge for the video game industry, that's huge for any industry, period. I mean, I've worked at companies where you don't have that accessibility to leadership to talk about these things. You don't have the comfort level. I mean, as a queer black woman, I've worked in places where I felt like if I spoke up about it like that, I would not have a job much longer, you know? So it's it's really important it happens, but then it's also tricky, right? Because it's like, you know, I'm a community manager, so I deal a lot with socials and a lot with like individual players that are engaged with our games. And it's like... How do you articulate to these people that, yes, we're engaged, yes, we care, and no, we're not just doing it because it's the popular thing to do right now? I've seen a whole lot of black and white text on my Twitter feed. Yes, yes, absolutely. But, you know, I I will say in my position at Harmonix, I've also had sort of an eye-opening experience in that regard even because, like, I imagine if I did not work at Harmonix, I might be somebody who sat on their feed like, oh, yeah, nice corporate statement and blah, blah, blah. But now as the person who's helping to publish that information and those resources, I have a deeper understanding where, okay, here's one thing. It definitely is something that I was aware of that as the consumer of other brands and things or whatever, I noticed that so many people waited a long time to post anything, right? And it's like, yeah, like we got to speak up. We got to speak up fast while it's relevant, not when it's finally acceptable and cool to do it. But also I'm not writing tweets on Saturday for my Monday through Friday job. (laughs) One, you just, you need your team together. These are conversations that you're not having, but just like, well, this is what I think personally, here's what I'm going out and saying, and this is it. Um, You know, we had very intimate, like serious conversations, not just about, oh my gosh, what do we do? How do we publicly respond? But it's like, hey, how, how are you all feeling and engaging with this? And like, what, what do we say? Like, what can you even say in these situations to like, bring peace of mind like there isn't there isn't anything this is some of the most hideous most evil shit you could ever engage with in your entire life like there's no 280 characters that you're going to be saying and it's like 240 characters whatever that you're going to say that's like oh man i feel so much better that people are racist now like harmonics just solved (laughs) all of it like no that's not going to happen it is an ongoing conversation and um you know i can speak for harmonics and our messaging that's really what the key was is it's like yeah, we want to make it clear beyond a shadow of a doubt that we stand up for this, we stand up against this, and we know that Black Lives Matter. And, and this is the most important part to me, we will follow up. It is not, it starts here and ends here. It's, we are going to do better to stay publicly engaged and make sure that we are very, very clear in our commitment to these topics, but also Mm -hmm. like, we can't just pretend this is going to go away in a day. Like this is a lifelong ongoing conversation, you know, and that means not just here's a one-time donation or here's the things we've already been donating to, which, you know, I can also tell you like Harmonix has made donations specifically to Black Lives Matter and to funds affecting minority communities because of COVID. And I'm really proud of that, but I will tell you, it means a lot more to me when they say, we'll let you know what else we're doing than it does when they say, look at all this money we just donated. Don't bother us about this again. You know, like this is not a new conversation at Harmonix. There is just now kind of a new, I don't know, reinvigorated sense of how we publicly engage with these, right? Like I, as a black woman, have diversity on my mind always, always, always. And from the first not even full month, I think it was the first three weeks that I started my job, I was having conversations about what we can do to be more diverse and more inclusive, more aware, more in tuned, more supportive of vulnerable populations at Harmonix with not just like my friends. I mean, I was talking with the senior vice president of creative about these things before I'd even worked at this company for a month. So it's like, you know, those conversations are happening. The progress is happening. And the bottom line is like, you do need to let people know because people don't just assume you're doing it because that's not, it's not the way of it, unfortunately. 
So it is important to like articulate what you're doing, but also like, you know, I'm not really trying to come to the defense of brands, but I am just like more aware than I had been before from the other side of things that just like, I myself as a individual who is black and feels personally affected by this, I don't know what to say. I don't. Sure. I really don't. I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. I don't know how to be effective or helpful or engaged all the time without feeling emotionally drained and depressed. And it's like figuring it out on a grand scale when you have hundreds or even thousands of stakeholders as a part of it. Like that is a journey and definitely something that I'm trying to figure out. Um, and I'm not alone, you know, in that. I have a really, really strong team of people that we are all really on the same page with this and we're consistently committed to like, all right, we're doing the best we can, but we understand that that needs to be better. And that's all we can, that's all we can do is commit to growing in our awareness and growing in how we're, how we're contributing and helping this cause. You know, I think one of the interesting things about this particular movement is how much of it seems to be started from sort of groundswell individual people taking mm. action, right? And yet we still have these large institutions that are responsible for a lot of setting tone. Right. So I think part of what allows some of the people who weren't the first ones on the bus to to feel like this is a space that they should pay attention to is that they saw video that was taken mm -hmm. from protesters that were on the ground. They've heard tons of different people like, retweet, share all these different posts. Mm -hmm. they've, they've gotten the sense like, oh, wait a second, I guess I, I, I need to pay attention to this. And they right. should have paid attention a long time ago. And I mean, not just pay attention, but but have permission to engage almost exactly. I mean, like certainly there, I, I know plenty of people. I, I think I'm seeing more of them feel a little bit more comfortable now. And I think it's exactly what you're talking about is the more exposure, the more comfortable you become with things that people who are posting, like I have, I haven't been speaking for fear of saying the wrong thing or some variation right. of that. And I, I mean, I get that. I get that. But one, depending on who you are in some ways by just choosing to abstain from the conversation, that is you wielding your privilege of saying like, this is uncomfortable for me, so I'm just not going to engage, period. Like, right. that is a privilege and a blessing that people who are in the community that's being vilified and hurt and marginalized don't have, right? Like, I don't ever get to forget that I'm black. Never is there a time where I'm like, racism doesn't affect me. Literally never. From the moment I wake up to the moment I go to sleep, that is true. There's moments where maybe it's not the first thing on my mind, but that is always true. Where there are people that can say, man, racism sucks. All right, that was enough thinking about that today. Let me go into my life unaffected by it, you know? Right. Like, and when you choose to do that, like, that sucks. Because not everybody gets <laughs> to, you know? Like, I wish I had a more eloquent way of saying that. But it's just like that in and of itself isn't, that's not productive. Like, that's not contributing to the fight. Like, silence is acceptance in a lot of ways. And um, right. I think that... Like you said, when brands and we see more of this buzz on socials start to speak up as well, people do feel more comfortable and we can feel frustrated that it took so long or we can just say, yep, it took a while, but we're glad you're here. Let's move on. At least you're in it now, you know? And yeah, that really is to me, like when I think about self-preservation, that's a component of it because it's like, I can't, there are so many things to be mad about right now. I can't be mad about how you came into this awareness. I'm just happy you did and I'm going to move on for my own well-being. It's not about you. It's about me preserving any of the mental space that I have right now. Yeah. For, for folks who are in a space like you are, right, mm -hmm. where they have influence in a particular space but they also are not the they're not the top of the chain that's like mm -hmm. making the decisions but you have the experience you have the interest right. um, in your case you have the obviously the personal background for for instance other community managers or for people not in the game space but who want right. to have these conversations with people who have an opportunity to make some of that shift mm. what are ways that you think folks should go about that well so a little background on me personally which i I'll try not to go in too deep, but just because I think it's relevant. Um, so I'm adopted. My my family, I have a brother as well who's also adopted. Um, but my birth father, you know, he's he's African. And then my birth mother's from the States. So I was born in the States and then was adopted by a white couple, right? So mm -hmm. I grew up in Chicago, raised by white people as a black woman with a black brother. So my racial dynamic and social dynamic in my family was pretty unique and a lot. 
But the only reason I say this is because although I did have, and you know, my, my adoptive parents made a strong effort to keep me in touch with like my culture and my community. And I had an open adoption. So I did know my black father and had access to black spaces and black mentors. Most of the things that I know, the things that I learned about culture and white supremacy and, you know, when you talk about race and academia, like most of those things I had to find on my own. So it, it just gives me a bit of an interesting perspective because you would not, I mean, you would believe how many people <laughs> have reached out just saying like, you know, what can I do? Where can I go? What can I learn? And it's like, yeah. well, girl, like if I can do it, you can do it. <laughs> like, right. um, and you know, that being said, like, obviously I always want to be a pillar of support for people that like, I'd rather you not have to do all the work that I did to get to this point. Cause it took me a long time and I'd rather it be easier for you. And I know from lived personal experience that there is no excuse, right? Especially right. now, like literally sign on to any social media platform within the first 10 tweets. I guarantee you there's a black community resources list. One thing that I looked up or that I found recently, somebody posts like a Google Drive for Black History Month every year of different black scholars and artists and activists that you know, their complete works are in there. And it's like a really, really, really oh my gosh. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll send the link. So maybe you can include it yeah, please, in the comments or something. The yeah, um, but it's, it, I mean, it's amazing how much, how just how much information is. It's a literal library. Wow. But then, you know, some other really strong resources are like, and I guess like I've had a lifetime to discover these things, but like black artists and I mean, singers, songwriters, poets, like, Go pick up a James Baldwin book and read it. Go read Maya Angelou's autobiography. Get written to some Nikki Giovanni. These are all the people that really inspired me because while you could read about racism, I don't think that's what inspires people to change. I think what inspires people to change is falling just deeply, madly, passionately in love with Black culture. And then they get to a point where they realize they will do anything to salvage, save, and respect it. That's what yeah. happened to me. Like I said to you, I don't fight for these rights just to do so, I fight for them because I'm fighting for myself. Like, this is self-preservation. This is about, if I have kids one day, I want them to have a better life than I did. I want to do my part in ensuring that things get easier for the generations that come after me. And I really do think that like, oh man, I, I guess this is the best way to say it. One time I used to go to, when I was living in Boston, I lived, or I went to Arlington Street Church and it's universal unitarianist, I believe is how it's said. Um, mm, but there was just, yeah, yeah there's this really amazing pastor who was just so cool. And there was an Earth Day sermon that she, that she gave. And oh my God, I will never forget it for as long as I live. She gets up and she starts talking about some really heavy stuff, right? She's like, we have killed the earth. And I was like, oh shit. Like, she's like, she was like, we, and I grew up Catholic. So I was prepared for like a good, like guilt trip about this is what you did. Here's what you go fix it. Like, no, like she gets up and she's like, we, we've really like, we've pillaged this earth. Like we have depleted mother nature of her resources. And like, we are consistently doing it. And, you know, just really like painting a very, very bleak picture. And then she stops and she's like, okay, so what do we do? What do we do? You know? And and, I, and she gave us all the congregation like a minute to think. And then she starts talking and she goes, go outside and climb a tree. Go to the coast and go swim in the ocean. Go out to the arboretum and just lay in the grass and, and look up at everything surrounding you. Go to the tallest place you can find and breathe that crisp mountaintop air. She said, you need to make a point to go outside, stay outside and fall in love with nature because we will always try to save the things we love. And that just like, it, that really, really stuck with me because yes, that is, I mean, that's so true. Like conservation, most conservationists I know do it because they love the outdoors, right? Like, right? A lot of my family are scientists and some of them, that's that's a lot of the focus of what they do. And of course it's an academic thing, but it's a personal thing. Like my cousin, Susan, who she's a behavioral scientist and she wrote a book called The Science of Consequences. And it's all about, you know, environmentalism and she tours and talks about it. And like, yes, she does it because she is a scientist by trade, but she's an, she's a bird watcher by, by passion. Like she just loves nature and she loves birds and she loves being out in it. And yes, she does all of her work because she's learned so much, but she stays doing her work because it's, a fierce self-serving mission, right? Like it's about if I want to continue to watch these birds, I need to do what I need to do to protect them. Um, right. 
And that that's true of everything. I mean, like, that's why I said, like, you want to understand how to engage with this culture. You want to understand how to support the people who are a part of it, like, without, you know, commodifying or tokenizing them, like, fall in love with the culture. I mean, like, true, honest love, not like a selfish, ego-filled, self-serving love. I mean, like, listen to good soul music. I mean, good protest music, good R&B music, great rap and hip-hop. There are so many messages and lessons that are in these things that, like, are just there for the taking. And it's like, I do understand how daunting it can be sometimes to find the right resources and find the right platforms for it. But once you do, immerse yourself and learn something. I mean, that really would be my biggest, biggest advice, I guess. I think a lot of people, unfortunately, I I live in kind of a rural place right now. And it is very, 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 very apparent that so many of these people who want to do good have maybe met two black people in their lives. Yeah. Straight up. And it's like, well, yeah, that's not ideal. But also, like, if you don't have access, if you don't have resources, if this diverse population isn't accessible to you, how am I supposed to hold you accountable for not knowing how to engage? Like, mm-hmm. you don't know what you don't know. Ignorance is not your fault, but it is your problem. So once you know better, you have to do better. But, you know, I do understand that that can be hard to come into. But the bottom line is, like, I think those people need to be really honest with themselves about how hard they try. Black excellence, black culture is never that far away. It's just like, where are you looking, you know? Um, right. And I think that, you know, this, I said I wasn't going to digress, but of course I did. You know me. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I think I think that the people who are in a similar situation to me that maybe don't have the background that I have, it is about go and have an uncomfortable conversation. Like the bottom line is one, if you're not, if you're not uncomfortable right now, you are a huge part of the problem. Because if you're comfortable with the things the way they are right now, like that's super messed up. Like that's yeah. just like a huge part of it is getting comfortable in being uncomfortable because change and revolution should not be comfortable. If it was, how productive is it really, you know? Right. So I think it's it's about putting yourself in positions where you're forced to grow, which growth is uncomfortable and it's absolutely necessary. Another thing is just like, and I, I've seen some stuff circulating about this recently, which has been really, really encouraging. But I think that another key for people, especially in my position where, you know, maybe you're with organizations or maybe you're in the industry, but you're not, you know, whatever it is. One, it's just about saying, I don't have enough information to speak on this topic. Let me go learn more. Right. Embrace your ignorance because like, just talking out your ass is not the key, right? It's not just saying anything just to say something. It's about like being thoughtful and being engaged. And sometimes that means knowing your limitations and letting yourself be okay with that. Like you don't need to be a Malcolm X. You don't need to be like, have a total in-depth history of all radical policies from the last hundred years of every, you know, country and what they've done and what has worked and what hasn't. Like, but if somebody's asking you to say that and you don't know, say no. Like, mm-hmm. Say no or say, you know what? I'm not the best person to write this piece, but let me refer you to somebody who is and like passing along opportunities to disseminate that information. I love when that happens and I love being able to do that. I mean, when people hit me up about speaking on diversity initiatives, right? Like I had somebody talk to me about they were in, it was a place in Texas and they were doing a whole diversity inclusion initiative and for a lot of their students, they, it was a Latin population, right? Like, I am not a Latina. I don't know about this experience. I can't speak to this experience. And to pretend to do so would be insulting. So mm-hmm. I will refer a friend of mine who has honest lived experience to offer to this pursuit. And yeah, like, maybe that's a job I don't get. But like, that's also way more productive for the people who are who are receiving that word, right? Like, that's it would feel fake. It would feel fraudulent for me to go in and pretend like I can speak on these topics. And I think just like letting people say, this is where I, you know, fall short and that's okay. I think that will be a huge step in the right direction, right? Like just acknowledge, acknowledge your limitations and and be comfortable with those and then force yourself to grow from them. Yeah. We could, we could go forever. Like, oh my God. Like we really could. Should we do like like in parts, like part one, part two, part four, part right, nine, like part twenty. Seventeen yeah, it was just right. like, yeah, here's our here's our uh forty eight part series on here's how to get your shit podcast. together. <laughs> Honestly like, don't do not like tempt me with the idea of starting a new podcast. So I was like, well, why not? Just start a new podcast. They're free. Hey, they're free. I'm they're, just I mean, saying they're not free, they're tough. <laughs> I, I said to you earlier when we were first talking that 
you know, we're talking about right how, how to have these conversations in video games and what this moment means for our specific industry. And talking with you and being able to have this kind of open discourse is something that's been super helpful and healing for me because it's like we've made so much progress as as we see more and more minority communities represented in gaming. But there is also mm-hmm. still so much so much progress to be made. Um And I will, like, I think one of the best things about this movement is that we're seeing on an organizational level, people say like, oh, shit, yeah, we have been slacking on this. We've been slipping. Let's re-ante our commitment to to engaging in this way. And I think that's like, that's amazing. Like, that's that's huge. That is absolutely massive. Um, But I also think that it is smaller conversations like the one we're having right now that are more accessible, maybe a little less intimidating, maybe more open and public facing than some of the back end stuff you see happening at these companies, you know, like. Right. We're not hip to EA's you know, diversity <laughs> and inclusion initiatives. We have no idea what they're doing over there. Right. But, you know, maybe we know individual people that are willing to be a part of this conversation. And, like, it is really my belief, like, microactivism is the key. And that, to me, looks like people-to-people interactions, right? Like, in one of my – one of the speeches that I go around and do, the big line that it always, always somebody in the audience comes up and tells me after, they're like, oh, my God, I needed to hear that. It is that just because you can't do everything does not mean you shouldn't do anything, right? Like, Josh, you and I, as unfortunate as it is, we're not going to end racism in this podcast. It's not. Like, we could talk about it till we're out of air. But the bottom line is, like, we will finish this conversation with as many good insights as we've had, with as many good exchanges as we've had, and there will still be racism. But as to people who are really emotional and really raw and really vulnerable right now, I know that this conversation meant something for my healing. So maybe it didn't solve racism, but it softened the really, really harsh effects of it just for me. And maybe that's small, but we're all just small individuals. I really believe one person is enough, right? Like if you can save or help or heal or affect one person in a positive way, that really is, that's a miracle. That's a blessing. Like that's a gift. And um, I, I think that that is, for me, that's the only work that keeps me sane, right? Is being able to see people that I know, that I care about, that I have love for, and see what I can do as a person to help them as a person have a slightly better time, a slightly easier time, a slightly lighter load. That that to me is where real change happens. You know, if if one person helped one other person, at some point, everybody's going to have been helped. And like, I don't know, maybe that's too naive or optimistic or, you know, foolish of me, but I really do believe that that's where so much of the change that we see on large organizational scales start. Um, that's where it happens. So, hey, if you want to do a diversity and gaming podcast, you let me know. I'll clear up some time. We can do a little half hour thing, an hour, whatever. Like this is, Yo. these are important conversations to be had. And and I'm really grateful for a platform to have them. I mean, Ugh. yeah. Yeah. Now I'm here. Now I'm here crossing off time on my calendar. <laughs> <laughs> good, good. But- for for this episode, I I first off, thank you so much for spending time. And especially for being for being so open and being willing to share some of that that pain and difficulty because mm. it's it, it, it's not it, it's obviously not enjoyable and it's not always easy, but I appreciate that you felt comfortable enough in this space to have some of those conversations and share that vulnerability of course i appreciate you bringing the platform to me i'm so glad we were able to connect at at pax and and get this going speaking of i don't know if you did want to say anything about fuser because i know that's in a lot of people's minds right now Um, (laughs) but you know what bottom line is like there as we've both acknowledged there are bigger things to talk about than video games right now so if you want to do a fuser episode in the future i'm happy to come back and Maybe I'll even see if I can bring somebody else with me that can talk about some other stuff. That would be super cool. For folks who've been keeping up with the show for a while, uh, Drop Mix is a, a personal favorite game of mine that Harmonix worked on. Uh, it was actually part of how Zoe and I first connected. Fuser mm-hmm. is sort of the spiritual successor that um, that Harmonix is, is currently developing. I'd love to talk about that on a, on a future episode. Uh, for sure. And I'm definitely writing down spiritual successor because that was amazing. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I am excited. I very much am. And every time, every time we bring this up, like I look up at my drop mix board, which is like <laughs> in an elevated space in my office. Good. And just like, on its pedestal. Good. Yep. I do want to ask you the, yeah. the question that we wrap the podcast with, with all of our guests. Please. If you 
had a game that mm-hmm. you would choose as your Intelli game, a game that you think helps people better understand what games are capable of, or a game that was personally mm-hmm. influential to you, what would that game be and why? Wow. That is a such he- a good question. It's a heavy question. <laughs> yeah. Uh, obviously, I want to give you like a thousand answers. Um <laughs> You know what? And I'm really, 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 I swear to God, not just saying this because they pay my rent, but <laughs> but Rock Band really, to me, I mean, is just like, I don't know if it's because of the greater conversation we've been having, but thinking about it, like, I really do like get emotional because, um, you know, like I think about it's so foolish, but um. When I bought the game, my mom didn't want me to have it, right? So I, I went with my Uncle Ed, and we uh, he took me to Toys R Us. I went and bought the big old bundle that I'd been saving all my gift cards for and came home. And my mom, I mean, my mom had, like, forbade me and my brother to get rock band. Like, really? no, I don't want these plastic instruments in my house. Like, I mean, mind you, at this point in time, my family was very strict growing up. So, like, we didn't have video games till maybe, like, a couple of years before rock band came out. Like... The first system we were ever allowed to own in our own house was the Wii. So, like, we were way late to the party. Like, any systems we had, my uncle had to keep at his house, and we just played when we would go over there. And maybe a couple times, like, sneak at home and try to plug it in. But, you know. (laughs) Um, But, yeah, it was one of the first games, like, I actually owned in my house on my own system. Rock Band 1 on Wii. And uh, I remember sneaking to his house my uncle, buying it, and came home and we set it up and my uncle who's my mom's oldest brother so he you know he was probably in like his 60s and we were playing this at this point um he was on drums i was a singer so i was singing my brother was on guitar and my mom came home and like i knew she wanted to just like rip me a new one just like <laughs> i could see it brewing in her face like she was so mad she couldn't like she so specifically told us we could not buy it but then you know we were playing with my uncle and like we, we, we like tied a tie around his head and like spiked up his hair and like, it was this whole thing, but it was just like, I saw the moment in my mom's eyes where she also realized like, oh, this isn't just like some crap that they're going to do and waste all their time and kill their brain cells. Like, this is my family coming together through like such different generations, so many different backgrounds. They're getting to enjoy this together. And like, you know, I, I've been a musician my whole life. I did it professionally. I still do it professionally. And it's like, to have access to music in such a unique and such an easy, low barrier to entry way, I mean, that's huge. Not only was this a game that could bring my family together and help open my mom's eyes to the power of video games, but it's like, you know, I learned drums, like the actual drum kit because of Rock Band. Like I played so much Rock Band that dead ass one day I was sat there and I was like, girl, if you spent half the time doing this <laughs> on real drums that you do on this video game, you would know how to play drums. And straight up that same night, I went to Target and bought an Ion electric drum kit and just started practicing. And now I now I play set, you know? Like, wow. it's not just a video game. It's not just some buttons and some lights on a screen. Like, this is about me and my professional career in my personal, most intimate, like, most divine sense of passion. Like, music is what connects me to, you know, a greater source than myself. And for a video game to strengthen that connection, I think is pretty wonderful, you know? And and it's not just Rock Band, you know? Like, uh, the original... Bro, Guitar Hero 2, that soundtrack? Like, are you no. kidding me? Like, Guns N' Roses is still my maybe second favorite Rock Band to this day because just shredding on Sweet Child of Mine on Guitar Hero 2 <laughs> and then Welcome to the Jungle on 3. Like, like those sorts of games just, like... I mean, that's all... There's a whole generation of people who know classic rock because of the original Guitar Hero. Like I would not, I would not know anything about classic rock exactly. if it were not for Guitar Hero. I exactly. found out basically about Incubus, Incubus doing more go. than just drive because right. of yeah, because of Guitar right. Hero. And I mean that sort of exposure and access for like that crosses not only like racial but gender and generational divides. What do we t- what do we talk about this whole freaking episode? Like how divided so many things are and how many different communities that we can be a part of and be a- outside of and blah blah blah. But like I've played with damn near everybody, no matter their gender or race or religion, like on rock band. And I'm, you know, not trying to sound like, you know, some kumbaya moment, but like that's not a small thing. To have something that's so universally understood and that you can share across so many countries, you know, if you're playing online, you have no idea who you're playing with. There's just so much opportunity there. And like, that is something that gets me really excited. Like, 
I, I don't know. I'm not trying to like do an ad for my job, but like I fucking love rock band. Like it's such <laughs> a good game. And it's, um, I don't know. It's just, it's no small thing that when you make people feel like they're a rock star without having to put in the 10,000 hours it takes to become one, like that's a lot of emotional power that you're able to offer somebody with something as small as buy this guitar in this game. That's huge. That's huge. I mean, I just, I finished my master's degree last year and part of my thesis was playing a, uh, a show of this album front to back and like I played drums in it and guess what? I would not have done that if rock band had not been in my life. So like, you know, I'm nearly 25 years old and like this game that came out, uh, I don't even want to talk about how many years ago cause it makes me feel old <laughs> as hell. A game that came out that long ago is still showing up and rearing its head. And how many years later I'm working for the company that provided me with that joy and the opportunity. So like, yeah, that's a, that's a really powerful game. The one other game I will say, just cause I have to give it a shout out NBA Street, the OG (laughs) on PlayStation 2 is still the game I probably play most of any video game. So like my essence, you need more turbo, baby. Like (laughs) that is me. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, yeah. Other other than NBA Street, I think it would have to be I uh, final answer. Rock Band, Beatles, Rock Band, Guitar Hero 2. All right. (laughs) <laughs> Zoe, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you so much, Josh. Yeah, I, I had a ton of fun and I'm really, really happy to have these conversations and I'm glad that they're happening all throughout the industry. Again, thank you so much to Zoe for being on the show. You can find out more about her by going to her website, zoeschneiderspeaks.com. She's also a community manager for Harmonix, working on their upcoming game, Fuser, You can find out more about that by going to Fuser.com. For each episode of Intelligame Radio, we'll try to leave you with a recommendation for a game to go and take a look into. This week, I'm recommending Sweetheart, a game by Cat Small. So frequently, when we look at large social movements pushing for change, they're spearheaded by women. And frequently, when it comes to standing up and organizing for change and rights in the black community, it's black women who are at the forefront. In fact, when we look at the Black Lives Matter movement that swept the globe, the foundation that started it was created by three black women, Alicia Garza, Patrice Cullors, and Opal Tometi. The stories, experiences, and voices of black women have literally shaped history, and yet so frequently these are the same voices, the same women that are discounted, that are disproportionately affected by violence, that are disproportionately discriminated against by employers. The list goes on. So often, these movements that we march, that we protest for, that we hashtag so strongly in the black community, revolve around black men. Meanwhile, black women receive insufficient justice compared to black men, who receive insufficient justice compared to their white counterparts. I mean, hell, even right now, the police officers who murdered Breonna Taylor are still free. The stories and experiences of black women need to be amplified and uplifted. And I believe Sweetheart is a part of that process. This is a game where you play as Kara a 19-year-old black woman living in the Bronx who goes to and from her job and otherwise just lives day-to-day life. You get to choose what clothes she wears to school, to work, and you get to choose the dialogue options that she engages in as she interacts with different members of her class and her workspace. In many ways, Kara's story reminds me of my own, trying to figure out how to get along in spaces that are majority white how to interact in workspaces where you want to make sure that you leave yourself room for growth, but also don't want to be stepped on. There's even a scene at an arcade where Kara feels like she's not quite being included with the rest of her friend group. And it's this weird, precarious space where you feel like you fit, but you don't fit. And you feel like you know why, but you're not quite sure if that's it. It was something that took me back to high school. It took me back to moments in college and even my adult life in ways that don't feel super great. But there are also a lot of ways in which Kara's story in a sweetheart differs from my own. 
many of Kara's experiences are affected not just by her race, but also by her gender. When she leaves her apartment building, she has to worry about being catcalled. When she comes home late at night, she has to worry about her safety. When she's at work, the dismissive tone that she could be regarded with. Is it because she is younger? Is it because she's new? Is it because she's black? Is it because she's a woman? Many of these questions aren't explicitly answered in Sweetheart, but they certainly are asked, leaving the player to contemplate the different ways that marginalization can apply across an intersection of identities. But the story is not always depressing. Kara feels genuine happiness when she puts together a good outfit that she likes in the morning. She gets to spend time with her family, have dinner with her father or mother, and have both the ups and downs that can come with engagement with parents. She makes friends at school, has an opportunity to show her mastery of work. They come with not just struggle, but also success and celebration. Sweetheart gives us an opportunity to see all of these things, even if but for a moment in this small game. Now rest assured, Sweetheart is a game about microaggressions, about those small, everyday occurrences that add stress and struggle to the lives of marginalized people. But contrary to the popular belief of those who may give out Oscar awards, the lives of the marginalized exist not just to educate and provide empathetic experiences for allies who want to do better. Games like Sweetheart give us a window into the lives of real people who we should understand and appreciate as whole, real people. And Sweetheart provides just a little bit of that experience. You can play Sweetheart for free by going to Cat's Itch.io page. That's cat, C-A-T-T, small dot itch dot io slash sweet x heart all right folks that does it for another edition of intelligame radio i've been your host josh boykin you can find me on twitter or facebook at wallstormer thank you so much again to zoe schneider for being a guest on the show and thank you for your time listening you can find more IntelliGame content by going to our homepage, IntelliGame.us, and you can help keep this and other IntelliGame work going by subscribing to us on Patreon. Patreon.com slash IntelliGameUs allows you to donate as little as a dollar a month to help IntelliGame keep making these connections between games and the real world. To all of you folks who are patrons already, thank you so much. I'll leave with one final call. For other Black creators out there, Know that your voice and your work is important and that you're appreciated, regardless of how frequently you are or are not able to contribute. It's about being able to create in the long term, being able to make change in the long haul. If you are not a Black creator, please use this and other opportunities to uplift and amplify the voices of Black people and other marginalized folks in creative spaces that you admire and respect. Remember that Black lives matter. And that's not a statement just for now, but for now on forward. Thanks for your time, everyone. Keep your eyes up, keep your hearts open, and keep IntelliGaming. We'll see you next week.